All right, well, we're just going to start. We've already kind of done the preambles, but I think the premise of what we're talking about today is that I, as a GM, come from a background of math is is a very low place for me. It's a not something that I, I particularly enjoy, and it kind of always takes the wind out of my sails. And I've learned and noticed that as a GM with any players that if the math, subject of math comes up in probability and, and discussion of what's more likely than not, the wind from my sails goes away. And I want to fix that because I know that my energy drops after those conversations and that's not fair to the players. So my goal with this conversation is to better understand math so that I can maintain a level of energy better through the course of the game because I understand what's going on and it's not so unfamiliar with me and that's why I wanted Chris you know you're you know he has a very astute mind when it comes to these things um, and so where are you coming from Chris um, well I will say this uh, and you know maybe this will make some people happy I hope so uh, <laughs> It, with respect to to math and specifically probability math in our RPGs, uh, you know there are going to be game masters. If you don't like math, you know there are going to be game masters out there for whom math will never matter in their games. So there's that. Those are GMs who never use dice or dice rollers, or uh, <laughs> a deck of cards, or coin flips, or chits, or literally any other source of randomization. However, if you, if you happen to be a GM who does use dice, then there's probably uh, going to be something worthwhile in this conversation. My The basic premise that I am coming from is that if a GM chooses to understand the basic probabilities uh, that govern the randomization schemes in RPGs, it actually helps that GM. It's a tool in the toolkit uh, to plan and run better games. That's, that's my basic premise. When we as GMs commit to any role-playing system that uses any element of randomization in any game mechanic or aspect of the game, essentially we become responsible for and therefore inextricably committed to understanding that little bit of math that is going to underpin these hobby activities. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. Uh, I, no, go, go for ahead. it. You go for it. All I was going to say is that dice math, dice math can't, I mean, in, in fairness, dice math can, it can actually get surprisingly complicated and difficult to, to calculate uh, when you employ mechanics that are pretty common, you know, advantage, disadvantage, dropping the lowest roll, exploding dice, those kinds of things. But with a couple of things, really just a short list of things that uh, we might do today to discuss and uh, improve our basic arithmetic understanding of that probability map and when to apply it. Uh, any GM can diligently gain that understanding and mastery over the probability math and dice math that constitutes the engine of our RPG experiences. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's not, it's not that bad. And, uh, it is going to empower GMs rather than daunt them. For sure. Now, I, and for, for me, I can understand that math is a tool in the toolkit. Like I fully believe put as many tools, have a familiarity with them now, but 
from where you're from kind of like re- reading through your premise it comes across it comes across or i think you're presenting it that math is a critical tool to have whereas for you know for me up until this point i haven't ever felt that it's critical would you like why why is why is math critical as a tool rather than just kind of like it's nice to have I, 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 yes, I am. And here, here's why. If we have an agreement of basic GM responsibilities, I think that will uh, foster a, a discussion of exactly why it might be critical. All right. The way I see it, GM responsibilities, number one, provide and preserve fun at the table. I agree Most there. Most people would agree on that. If Absolutely. <laughs> number two is to provide fair and consistent application and arbitration of the rules of the game the mechanics of the game within player expectations you know? so it so, so be consistent and fair it's down at the camera yes the d mm-hmm. knows what they're getting into and and the rules that happen earlier in the game are the same ones that are happening later in the game give or take mm-hmm. that makes sense uh, and then the third is to prov- the third gm responsibility is to provide interesting challenges for players within the narrative of a great collaborative story um, that's what everybody wants at the end of the night, you know, is to have built some great memories together about cool things that they did in this fantasy world. Now, is this, is this and, your way of saying provide challenges, not solutions? Like we, it's the kind of the rhetoric that we hear across the, the GM sphere, or is this like just... It absolutely is, but maybe even more than not, uh, n- n- challenges, not solution, but challenges that, uh, provide a satisfying experience for everyone at the table and that are that that you have a good gauge on and i think that's really the key essentially i think that's where the tie-in for the importance of the uh math that underpins it all comes into you want to provide a quality experience and uh a little bit of diligence in understanding the possibilities that underlie you know by using that by understanding that probability math that underlie those challenges helps give you uh, a tool for essentially quality assurance for being able to say oh yeah this is going to come out like i said i don't i can't control the players i don't know what the players are going to do they're going to be wacky they're going to be creative they are four brains to my one but i have a solid understanding of exactly what i am throwing at them and then I take my hands off it and let the dice speak and the players think, <laughs> and we create something amazing. For sure. <clears throat> well, I I can't argue with any of the GM responsibilities, so I think you got me there. Um, <laughs> so far, you, you you've hooked me on the sense of like I agree, I agree, I agree, and now I'm curious like okay, so you you got me hooked line and sinker. Where does the math come in? Okay, so the math comes in. <clears throat> okay, let me ask. Let, let me let me ask, answer your question by posing a question so that we can kick this mm-hmm. off. So mm-hmm. you're sitting down. You got that notebook out in front of you. You got your black pen, your red pen, mm-hmm. and uh, you know me so well. A big bra- a, a big brain full of ideas, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to plan this awesome encounter." Absolutely. And you know you know that you want a brute. You know that you want a giant pool of acid. There's you're, things happening. You're reading my mind. <laughs> how, how, how do you set? How do you set that? How do you set that target number when you first start to draft it? 
So essentially my default is this right at the very beginning, scene one, I just drop a 12. I know that that's right. consistent. That's the, 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 uh, the kind of the, I don't know what's, what's the right way. It's just like, if you're going to do anything, put a 12 down. So I always right. start with that's, a 12. That's your default. Yeah, default. Pretty middle of the road. Let's just, if I don't know anything else, I'm going to start with a 12. Yeah. Okay. Why, why do you start with a 12? For me, it's um, 10 feels too easy and 12 feels just right. And it just, like, it's just proven and, to and be 15, consistent. Yeah. 15 starts to get tricky. Yes. So 12 exactly. is just right in the middle, baby bear style. So, boom. You stepped in the trap. Okay, what you what you have in your head already <clears throat> is an idea of a probability distribution. You have an idea in your head, a measure of central tendency centered around 12 that says the right amount of success versus failure is going to happen if I put that target at 12, not knowing anything else about the encounter. Mm-hmm. You are already subconsciously, or in truthfully, maybe not subconsciously, but uh, secondarily, riffing off of and establishing probability math parameters for your encounter based on a combination of desire and experience. Okay, big words. So, I, I so so explain so explain to me that that scale like you know why is 12 so, right in the uh, middle okay so here, here's what we're saying that you you defined a cut point essentially when you set that target you're saying uh and, and again you already know something we're going to talk a little bit about there's really said there's really only three things i think gms need to really understand about probability math and probability distributions and how they work so let's throw those in as we go along with this example Okay. Um, the first is the probability distribution. That is the idea of when you do something or when you put a challenge before the players and they roll a die, something's going to happen, right? You don't uh -huh. know what. You don't know what the result of that roll is going to be, but you know something is going to happen. There are only when you roll a twenty-sided die, unless it lands on an edge or a point. Only twenty things can happen, right? Okay the chance of any one result on a die is exactly equal to any other. That's part of what makes it the way we want. That is a uniform distribution of probability. And that's the first thing to think about. Probability distributions can be broadly. Number one thing to understand about dice math and probability distributions is that you either have things that are uniform where there's an equal chance of any possible outcome happening mm -hmm. or non-uniform. And non-uniform can be any other shape than a totally flat chance across the board. Mm -hmm. So uh, the ones that the non-uniform distribution that everybody is probably most familiar with, at least in concept, is a quote-unquote bell curve, and which can be a normal distribution or many other different kinds of ones where something has a likelihood of one thing happening a lot more than others, and then more extreme options. So a dice is uniform in the sense that every number is the same. So it's not a, a dice is not a bell curve. Any single die roll of a platonic solid, which uh -huh. is your standard polyhedral, has a uniform chance, if it's a fair, true die, 
mm-hmm. of any one result coming up. Everybody, and then that doesn't matter if you're using D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, D20. Got it. Okay, so let's die is single roll uniform. The bell curve comes in. So that's the first thing to think about is that's an example of a uniform distribution. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the easiest thing to think about for non-uniform distribution is something like rolling 2D6. As soon as you put in multiple dice, just 2D6, let's say, right? Okay. Now, all of a sudden, you have, everybody knows what's the 2D6. Okay, the most likely thing that you're going to get is a 7, mm-hmm. but which is two times the 3.5 average of a single D6. Uh, but then the least, op, you know, the least likely thing that you're going to get is boxcars or snake eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Either a 2 or a 12. That makes sense. Okay. What you actually have there is a finite stepped non-uniform distribution because you can't get you know, a one point, you can't get a 3.6 on a 2d6 roll, mm-hmm. but it approximates what we would in common parlance call a bell curve. It's actually uh-huh. not, but it's close enough. It can be approximated that we have an idea that the chance of getting extreme results is small. There are multiple combinations that will get you that central result of a seven Mm -hmm. and already though how that plays out in the game when you roll that the the possible results that you have uh begins to take on a shape that affects the game you know so getting back to the single die roll of a d20 for the 12 we have chosen a uniform distribution but we have cut it between success and failure at a place with a 12 that gives us a whatever that is 45% chance a little bit more chance of a failure than a success on an unmodified roll mm-hmm. but it we consider that our sweet spot we want things to be a little bit hard but we don't want them to be particularly difficult when we set something at a 12 on a d20 roll but then cutting it at so if you know if i had a line that was from 1 to 20 and i cut it cut it at a 15 that's obviously limiting the number the the making the window of success smaller we've we've now cut it at a a three versus seven Mm -hmm. when we when we go to a 15 you have a 30 percent chance of success and a uh 70 percent chance of we blew it Mm. okay that's when things start to feel harder you know, feel like the challenge is serious at that point in terms of the game. So we are, without going to any, you know, pen and paper calculations, we begin to establish and understand how the the underlying numbers that we're not necessarily paying close attention to go to the ex- determining and governing the experience that we want at the mm-hmm. table. Got it. Okay. So that was the first thing, the first simple thing that GM should know. That's is right. That, that uniform distributions, uniform okay. versus non-uniform. Okay. The second thing is uh, inverse probabilities and or the sum of total possibilities. So two things can happen. You know, like when we set that 12 cut point for our target number, there's going to be a roll. It's going to mm-hmm. come up somewhere 1 through 20. That is either going to be a success or a failure. It's a dichotomous result. There's only two categories of things that can happen. And we know that if we set it at uh, 
that 12, there's a 45% chance, right? That's 12, 13, 14, all the way up to 20 versus mm -hmm. all the lower numbers. You got uh, nine out of 20 chances to succeed. You have 11 out of 20 chances to fail. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll notice that if you add those two things up, nine chances plus 11 chances is equal to 20. Mm -hmm. So the second thing to understand is that something is always going to happen. We set that probability at one. And if there is a 0.3% chance of success on a target 15, let's say, mm -hmm. which is 30%, then there has to be a 70% chance of failure. And it's just the idea of remembering that uh, the sum of all possible outcomes has to equal one it's that's your your first technical point in and the second most important thing that you have to understand about probability math and very the reason why that's important for the gm when they're looking at things they're kind of going over and checking their notes and seeing if they're dropping those targets and creating those probabilities and likelihoods of, about where they want them to be to create the narrative experience that they would like to see in the adventure the reason that's important is because sometimes in order to calculate uh, the effect of a particular dice mechanic, say something like exploding dice, you actually are not interested in the probability of something happening, but rather in the probability of something not happening. So, okay. for example, when you, when you are uh, rolling with advantage, right, and you want to figure out, it's like, okay, at a certain target number, I'm rolling an advantage, something like that. I want to see what my probability is of failing to beat the roll on the first die versus not failing to beat the mm -hmm. roll on the first die. Okay. So, okay, so I think so I... The, I, the, yeah. the, the takeaway from that is simply that the, the probability of all of the possible outcomes always sums to one. Yeah. And so I'm, so it, you'll go ahead, please. I was going to say, so for, for a GM, when I'm just sticking with targets right now before I get into the dice, is that like totally. when I, when I set, when I set a, an under, and I set a target 15, I say, okay, you just need to roll a 15 or higher. I know that that gives me that 30% chance, like you said, but as a GM, it hel it's helpful to know, well, what I'm actually saying, rather than just, you have a 30% chance of, success i'm implying that you have a 70 percent chance of failure and if that is felt at the table then it could you know could lead to sour feelings or whatever and if i set something that like an 18 where i say oh yeah you have 10 percent chance what i'm actually saying is you have a 90 percent chance of failure and that kind of sucks <laughs> exactly so you know it's like we it's a there's an additional elaboration of how that's going to translate to table field but mm -hmm. i think it's important uh and like i said when when we get into actually sort of checking the math that underlies the situations that we set up sometimes it is more useful and that's why i made it the second most important thing for the gm to uh calculate and this is going to get into the third the, the third and final thing that you need to know about probability math in order to, to do your diligence as a gm uh but sometimes we need the quantity that we need to be uh using in our calculation is actually the inverse probability that it's a chance of something not happening as opposed to the probability of it happening 
-hmm. And that is why it's useful to understand this second thing that uh, the, the sum of all the possibilities, the of possible likelihoods is always equal to one. So if Got you it. want to know the chance of something not happening, you just take that probability and subtract it from one. If there's a 30% chance of something happening, when you subtract that from one, you're left with 70% chance of the inverse probability uh, of something of that not happening. That's going it. to be important. Okay, that makes sense, I think. <laughs> All right, so what's the third one? <laughs> Thing number three. Is is where is the is like I said it's the linchpin. It's where all of your other basic calculation and kind of math checking uh, gets put into practice. It's what's called joint probability. It's where you multiply the likelihood of two things happening at this to to figure out the chance of them both happening. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have a fifty percent chance of something happening. Now, target 11, and you have a 50% chance of something else happening, you multiply those two things together, 0.5 times 0.5, and you get the chance of them both happening. So, for example, say I have to uh, make a dex check mm -hmm. at a target 11 to jump over uh, an obstacle, and when I get there, I have to make a second dex check at the same target 11 in order to manipulate a, a lock or a door clasp or something like a door uh, mm. latch plate. Got it. Yeah. The first one is 50%. The second one is 50%. So my chance of success in that two actions is only going to be 25%. 0. 0.5 mm. times 0. 0.5. My chance of failure would be the inverse. One minus 0.25 or 75 percent. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is this is where we get into all our other things, and this is where things really get tricky. Again, both with looking at the individual likelihood based on a die roll that you select, and also on those critical target numbers. And this is where the, most the meat of our discussion will probably take about. It's these joint probabilities. If you want to find out the likelihood of two events happening at the same time concurrently mm -hmm. you multiply the two probabilities together and you will notice that again because probability is sum to one a probability when you represent it as a decimal is all as a percentage is always less than one when you multiply two things that are less than one together you get a number that is even smaller than either of the two things that you are multiplying, right? So 50% and 50% becomes 25%. It's always going smaller. It's dwindling likelihoods. Mm -hmm. And that is our focus and our concern as GMs preparing encounters. Okay. Because All right. those numbers, as they dwindle, and as we set targets higher and higher, become vanishingly small if we are not careful mm -hmm. okay and that's that's where i think we should go yeah definitely should go next because i think you've laid a good groundwork in like the subject matter and i've definitely been enlightened like this these are the exact things that i don't think about on a day-to-day -day or even on like on a year-by-year -year basis um but you've i i appreciate so far i've I, I think i'm following along so 
I, so what, I, 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 I hope so, but it sounds <laughs> like you are translating that into what is meaningful to you, and that, that yeah. would be the goal of us hanging out and talking together. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, st we're still driving that way, and I trust you. We're, we're getting that way. I'm not, I'm not off the rails yet. <laughs> but that's where, that's where I'm driving. I'm getting out of this conversation. Where, lead me to where this is going. You know, this is gonna impact me. I've, un I'm understanding okay. it better. Let us leave the quantitative for a second, and let's talk about the feels. Let's talk okay. about the feels. So, um, a lot of times I hear, and especially on the interwebs, because you know we all, you know, the most important thing on the interwebs is looking and sounding cool. Mm -hmm. uh, we get there and we talk about things and we have this very high bar set before us by the Runehammer GM oath. You know, I'm a terror to behold. I'm a badass DM. I'm all of these things. Um, the feels to me as a still relative newcomer, uh, to our community, having only been around for a year or so, mm -hmm. uh, despite having played ICRPG for going on four years now and 10 or 11 times that of RPG experience over my lifetime, uh, there's a lot of social desirability around being that terror to behold about, oh, you know what? Sometimes I feel like when we talk about our game prep with one another, it's like name that tune, you know, the old game show. It's like, it's like oh, you know, I, I flowed in there. I only had three bullet points, and I ran the whole evening. It was awesome. It came out exactly the way I meant to. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know what? You you had to use three bullet points. I only needed two. I only, yeah. I only you know, what? I don't <laughs> need notes. I, I just, my sessions are awesome because I'm a badass GM, and I do this thing. And my players were crying at the end of it, but they still had a good time. Mm -hmm. Um just as many times in our fora and online conversations, I'll get, I'll get these, these heartfelt confessional posts that I read that say, you know, last night was rough. It's like, you know, the, the players walked into that Hydra nest and, uh, you know, I thought target 17 was going to give them a break because it wasn't an 18, but you know, they got completely decimated in a DPK in two rounds and I just didn't think it was going to go that way. I thought they had the chops. I'm always worried about, you know, my players having a little too much mm -hmm. uh, mojo going into these and uh, it was a bad night. Everybody was sad and I don't know if my campaign's going to continue. And it's, yeah, I, I feel for people when I, yeah. when I see that and it's like, well, okay, so looking at your notes, what could you have do differently? It's like, well, no, I only had two bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying it's like okay, well let's 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 go by the play by play. And when you start to look at these things, when you apply these three things that we looked at, when we look at the probability distributions that were in play, when you look at the chances of success and failure based on the the sum of total possibilities, you know the likelihoods for things that were going to happen versus not happen, and particularly when you get to that third point, when you start looking at all of the things that you as a GM were requiring in order to have a chance for success. And then you look at the joint probabilities of each of those things happening in concert, you suddenly understand with sobering clarity mm -hmm. why you got a TPK that you weren't expecting. So, yeah. So if I'm 
understanding that okay because i i definitely feel that way you know there's there's times when things have happened but if you're what you're saying is like as a gm if if i'm sitting around we're facing a hellion and to attack the hellion you have to jump across the the lava chasm make a dex check to jump make a dex check to land swing out and then make a strength check to hit the thing like that's a lot of demand for me and even though that sounds like it sounds it's cool yeah exactly no you're exactly right you have described something narratively that sounds like a totally awesome challenge it's reasonable it's exciting it's all these things and even at a 12 or a 15 yeah exactly and that's that's exactly where we're where we're headed you're you're totally on track but when you actually go ahead and you peek underneath the hood right there you realize that you had no idea how small a chance of success that you were actually offering your players they probably didn't even realize how small a chance of success that you had and what i am saying beyond that is that as part of our due diligence as gms who are doing those who are shouldering those responsibilities who are preserving and providing fun at the table who are giving fair and consistent application and arbitration of the rules and who are uh, providing interesting challenges that work within the story narrative it's our responsibility to not be surprised by those things and um, so what i'm offering with a basic understanding of these little bits of probability that underlie our game and that you really can't avoid because you're using dice and dice rolls and not just telling a collaborative piece of collaborative fiction that you're all making up on the spot when you employ that, your due diligence involves at least knowing about where they're going. And uh, this is where I get back to the feels and this idea of, you know, social desirability. Because I, I feel like that we all have this pressure to, to sort of front. And uh, it's okay to check your ego at the door sometimes and say, okay, well, you know, I may have prepped a little bit more here, but I feel like I'm providing quality assurance for my encounter at least to my standards and those are going to be personal as a gm Mm -hmm. you decide as a gm who runs the table who knows your players who has these dreams about how you want your uh your your session to go for the night you decide what the right amount of that is but i'm saying that you have a tool every one of us has a tool at our disposal that is going to help us do the things that i think we all want to do and Mm -hmm. that is this very fundamental understanding of the probability mechanics that underlie our activity check your math and and i i get that and and, okay you're winning me over so so, so (laughs) let me let me let me throw these things at you okay so let's take an example let's stick with that target number 12 okay okay uh and this is what why i say it's like you know this is something i i call the myth of vibe and it's related to this idea that it's like oh you know ah, i just roll by feel and it's like you know it's like i've been jamming for x number of years i know what i'm doing is and you probably do you know people who the experience does build this sort of thing but there are also a lot of these things that are particularly non-intuitive that it's just hard even with lots of experience for you to sometimes see the truth of the probability that is underlying all these great story ideas and narrative ideas that you're presenting as a GM. 
Mm-hmm. So let's stick with the target target twelve. Let's and and do two common things. Number one, uh, you you have a situation, right? You need to make a dex check. You tell the player uh, you need to make a dex check at target twelve to open this lock. That would be one option. Mm-hmm. And then you say you need to make a hard dex check at target twelve to open the lock. So essentially bumping the target up to fifteen. Yeah. Classic. You 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 say to yourself, okay, I'm making it harder. How much harder are you making it? Three extra three extra numbers. That's three three extra numbers. But in terms of likelihood, how mm-hmm. much harder are you making it? Well, based off what I've learned from this, we've moved from forty five percent to thirty percent. So I've made it fifty exactly percent so. harder. Exactly. <laughs> A plus, A plus, right? <laughs> 50% harder. So already you are redeeming yourself, right? All of that bad feelings from high school, you're good now. You just fixed it. 50% oh. harder. Wait, so did, that, so did you say 50%? I, I said 15. Oh, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then let's talk about it. So <laughs> Dang what it. We, did is we, we reduced. Okay, this is this is good. This gets to inverse probabilities, and this is cool. And this is why I say it's hard. You made it. You, you did, What you did is you reduced the likelihood by 15%. You were at 45. Now the player's success, uh, the likelihood of success is 30%. When you put those two numbers uh, and, and divide one by the other, right? Mm-hmm. You uh, you wind up with 1.5. So when you subtract off that total likelihood of one, you have made it in effect 50% harder. <sighs> okay. <laughs> oh, so, but 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 that's the whole thing. That's why this this only proves my point. Even when we understand all of the three basic points, and these are all essentially fresh information for you today. So mm-hmm. you know we're still processing this. But even when you understand those three basic things, on the fly and in your head, it can be hard to understand. But essentially, you have made that task 50 for, 50% harder for the player. Now let's keep the same target number 12. In, instead of telling uh, the player, you need to make a dex check to open that lock at target number 12, you tell them, this is going to take a couple of turns. You need to make a dex check two turns in a row to open the lock. Mm-hmm. How much harder have we made it now? And they, is, and it I, I, is it still hard? Is it still hard? No, this is this is a straight target number 12, but you have to pass two normal dex checks two turns in a row. At the tar- yeah, I... I don't expect anyone, including myself, to calculate this in their head. But oh, what goodness. it is, it's that same 45%, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to multiply 0.45 times another 0.45 because you have to do it two times in a row. That's what those joint probabilities are in the third, third, third simple thing that we put into practice. Mm-hmm. You wind up making that more than twice as hard, 122% harder. You go uh-huh. from a 45 to a 20.3%. That's hard to calculate. That's hard to calculate in your head. It's yes. hard to calculate on your fly. In practice, yes, we can begin to get a vibe, a feel for these things. But that's just discounting the fact that one way or another, we are learning the hard way what 
a small amount of multiplication could tell us almost instantly. Okay. Now, take again, sticking with target number 12, you tell that same player, you need to make two dex checks in a row to dodge those spider webs and then open the lock. Or you tell them, you need to make two hard dex checks in a row to dodge the spider webs and open the lock. So in this case, we are essentially saying two, the joint probability of two successive actions, right? either at the target number of 12 or essentially bumped up to a target number of 15. Again, we feel like we're only bumping that target up three numbers, so we're making it hard, mm -hmm. but how much harder are we making it? Yeah. The truth is you're taking it from a nine, uh, sorry, from a 20.3% probability down to only 9%. So what? So, so again, so... You're, ma you're making it more than twice as hard, 125% harder to do that one task. So as a GM, I can say something pretty innocuous like that. Two hard rolls in a row. That to me sounds exactly. completely reasonable, but in terms of numbers, it's, you know, shooting a hair off a flyer, like, exactly. you know, doing 100%, whatever. A hundred percent. You're, you're getting it. And that's that, again, that very, you know, target number 12 doesn't raise anybody's alarm bells you know it's like it's like okay this is target number 12 sure he just made it hard and i have to do it twice but i i that, i can do that mm -hmm. you know you have a really small chance of being able to do that and it, it here's the other point and this is the point that it can be new information and is important to internalize as a gm that's at that nice middle of the road target 12. when mm -hmm. you do the same thing at target 15 it gets drastically harder mm -hmm. so you know, we made it 125% harder. If you do the same thing, so let's look at this, target 15 now. You need to make two dex checks to dodge the spider webs and open the lock versus you need to make two hard dex checks mm -hmm. to dodge yeah. the spider and open the lock at target 15. So 15 versus 18, two things in a row. Now your 9% chance of a player's success is two and a quarter. And that's, that's three times. That's three times harder. Yeah, but then this is where this is where stats become so important because we're, we've been discussing all this based off of a flat die roll, which, in ICRPG sense, like most of the time, it's not flat. We have stats which bump it up, which I I, I can't I can't even imagine. You know, you're essentially just cutting the curve and cutting the the. The Absolutely. distribution a little and bit with the net. Right. What that's going to do is, and that's an excellent point, what you're going to do is you wind up uh, in, bumping those probabilities back down to things that are more manageable. But mm -hmm. the take-home message that I want you and anybody who ca cared to listen to us today, and thank mm -hmm. you all for showing up. I see a lot of friends. Uh, the take-home message that I would like anybody to get is that as you move those extreme toward those extremes right as you get those higher higher target numbers it gets the impact of doing things like a simple joint probability becomes much more severe mm -hmm. and to the to the point where it really you know even bumping up that target number one or two bumps can really have an effect when you have two joint probabilities and if you have more than two things that have to happen concurrently, right? Like three mm -hmm. joint probabilities or four joint probabilities to guarantee a success. Uh, 
you are essentially, and you may never notice it, you know, it's like, hey, you know what, all you have to do is make a dex check, a charisma check to not be frightened, and a strength check once you get across the chasm. You know, if that's at a target 12 or a target 15 or even a target 18, uh, you have given those players, it doesn't sound like that that much, it sounds doable when you mm -hmm. just talk about it in narrative, in words, but you can quickly get to a point where you are statistically uh, indistinguishable from an impossibility. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at less than 5%, sometimes less than 1% chance of success on things that sound perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. the, the closer you get, the higher you bump those target numbers up and the more joint probabilities that you demand be satisfied, the crazier that chance of failure goes up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even if you do no calculations, when you start to have target numbers, say, at 15 or higher, when you start to have more than two things that you're requiring to be satisfied at the same time as a success, you're probably in that danger zone. And that is the kind of vibe and feel that we as GMs can begin to develop uh, as, uh, as our experience informs us. Mm -hmm. So then moving forward... With this, with this in mind, is is your recommendation that we just take a much more, you know, methodical approach to when we require certain things to to to, val to validate success? That put, just... yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Putting it in, putting it into practice the rules of thumb, I would say, is basically exactly that. If you if you have the time, do a little bit of multiplication. Mm-hmm and see if the numbers are coming out where you would be happy for them to come out. If you want, you know, on any given round, if you want play players, and you know, you can, you can always simulate, you know, it's like most of my players have a plus three or a plus four in their main stat, right? So <clears throat> using the rule of thumb that each one of those pluses equates essentially to a 5% higher likelihood of success on your d20 rolls you can adjust for that and you can ballpark that when you're doing your calculations yeah most of this party is plus two on deck mm -hmm. on average you know you can throw that into the mix and give everybody a 10 percent higher chance of succeeding and then you run the same calculations so two decks checks if it was a target 15 and everybody has an average of a plus two decks that 30% becomes a 40% chance of success. And you mm -hmm. throw that into your number. You multiply 0. 0.4 times 0. 0.4, and you come up with the 16%. Is that what it is? I'm doing that. I'm, not, I'm doing this in You say a number, and I'll nod my head and go, yeah, that sounds right. The, 16, the thing is 16% <laughs> chance of success for, 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 those two, for that party to uh, have two successive successes. You know, two concurrent successes or two sub, uh, one after the other. You know, those are the kinds of things. You can model all of that. So the, in putting it into practice, I would say, if you have the time, do the math. If you don't, be aware that anytime you're asking for more than two things to be satisfied at the same time, you know, two joint probability of two different successes, or anytime your target numbers creep up close to or past 15, Mm -hmm. Those are particular times to maybe break out the calculator and see just how bad the thing that you're going to ask them to do is. And this is all in prep. 
you know, if you do it on the fly, you know, you, you come up with something that your players are doing that you didn't expect, you know, they're coming up with a creative solution, then maybe that is the, the, the time when you give them a pass on the first thing, or you drop the target, or you make it easy because you know that even making it easy, it's still kind of going to be hard. No, for sure. And I know for me, like the few times that I've dropped 18s is my usual reaction is, okay, I haven't done the math on it, but I'm trying to get this feel of it's really difficult. But my intention is I want the players to think of how can I reduce the target like it suggests in master you know master edition it's it's okay i've dropped this 18 you're i'm hoping my player's first thought is i'm not i don't want to deal with this 18 in the sense of i'm going to suffer through it what i'm going to do is i want to get rid of that 18 i want to drop it to 15 which makes much more sense within the context of what we're talking about why would players want to take the 18 down to 15 and as a gm i need to be prepared not with necessarily a method like no solution. I'm not going to give them what they want in the sense of like, oh, if you do this, I'm just going to give you the answer. But if they come up with a solution, like be game to play. Like I will drop that 15 if you come up with a solution. I don't as long as it makes sense and we're cool. Like let's drop it. So as a GM, I can do better. One hundred percent. And as a player who has unfortunately been there a few times when you <laughs> drop that 18. Uh, Target target reduction is definitely a skill that I, I think that you that is a worthy skill and one that you have trained into the the folks who've had the good fortune to play at your table. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a, a separate issue from the one that I want to bring home, or at least it's a it's a related issue mm-hmm. uh, to the one that I want to bring home, which is you as the GM, you're not going to be able to control those players. The ones that aren't thinking that way aren't going to think that way, although they will be encouraged when you their character um the <laughs> one that i want to 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 say is that you as a gm want to have a good idea when you do drop that high target number of keeping an eye out for circumstances that are going to take it past where it is essentially statistically no longer a fair challenge by mm-hmm. because of joint probability and also by having a good feel again to use that lovely and controversial word <laughs> for how much target reduction is both possible and necessary for your party to again have an appropriately scaled chance of success and that all comes within the purview and the control of the game master who is laying down the challenge separate mm. from what the players did. Makes sense. Whew. Heady stuff right there. That's a good that's a good one to oh. take to take home. How how are you feeling? What are you thinking about this? Well, I haven't felt my brain hurt this bad since since uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much any time in the last decade. But but it's also been a good one. Like I feel I feel my brain stretching in that way. And I and the way that you've presented, I definitely see how the math and understanding it through that kind of viewpoint, that mental model, does illuminate parts of the game that I have just been blind to. Well, both by that, by unfamiliarity and by choice. <laughs> well, that's 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 the goal of 
hanging out and talking today, at least where I was coming from, is mm. the demystification and the integration of a couple of very fundamental skills that I think can have a big impact on the success and satisfaction of everything that we do as GMs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a, a little bit of stuff with a lot of payoff at the table is my goal. Perfect. Well, let's, uh, in the, we've got about 15 minutes left from the, just the time frame. I wanted, I do want to get to the questions. Um, so we've got questions from evil Chris from, from, uh, S five. And then we've got a couple from JD. Um, I see that, uh, evil Chris and JD are here. So if they'd like, you can, um, you can, I can, welcome you up to the stage and you guys can chat if you're in a place to chat otherwise i'm just going to read out the questions so i'm going to invite you both to to the stage you do not have to say yes if you're not in a space for it um but if you are welcome you know come up and we'll go through the questions but while we wait for that let's just start with evil chris's question thank you for joining us which is how can we think about math probability how math probability works in common tabletop rpg resolution avoids methods to avoid escalating complexity or crunch while still creating results that feel satisfying truthful as opposed to focusing on realism and chris that was an excellent wordy question and he put it in the chat so if i if he didn't pick it up it's in the it's in the the chat the workshop no it's in the kiln that's where it is (laughs) can you hear me yes yes hey good morning Good morning. All right. Uh, my question was, how can we think about how math probability works in common uh, TTRPG resolution methods, you know, rolling what, whatever our methods are, to avoid escalating complexity crunch, while still creating results that feel satisfying and truthful, uh, as opposed to focusing on realism, um, verisimilitude is a common word for that. Um, 100%. Yeah, and I am a big, big fan of verisimilitude and uh, reasonable expectation, being satisfied for both GMs and players in a in a immersive world that feels real. That is a an awesome question, and uh, I would say this, you know, you as a GM, we as GMs, uh, again, and then stewarding that that fast fun curious, frantic, and exciting table experience that we all want to create um, have at our have as an option, especially on the fly. You know, if we are creating, you know, we create an adventure that has a, uh, a complex uh, narrative where multiple things are happening, each with its own independent likelihood of success. Uh, if we either don't already have those joint probabilities figured out and set where they, we want them to fall or set where we want them to fall, or uh, if we don't like where they happen to fall, we can cut right to the chase. Maybe the normal joint probability uh, or independent probability of two things, when you take them together happening at the same time concurrently, gives the players too low a chance of success on the fly we can always use a layer of abstraction there and instead of going precisely by the numbers 
maybe that second hard dex check, because things are already hard, doesn't make it the target bump up another three. Maybe we just go together and say, hey, you know what? In my head, I want the players to have a 15% chance of making these things, even with all of these factors working against them. Maybe I want them to have a 20% or a 25%. We can simply set that. And you can say, hey, you know what? Beat a 16. And that is enough for us to, to do. So we always have the ability to, whether we have looked at the math or not, set the cut point between success and failure where we want them to be. And that is a layer of abstraction that we can take pure GM fiat on that still respects the probability math, but it also keeps things in our control, even if we didn't necessarily walk through all the steps a priori. Makes sense, thanks. Does that does that answer answer your question satisfactorily? I, I... yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I when I asked it, I was you know thinking in terms of, um, you know, we ha we have a tendency, especially if we come from quote crunchier systems, um, where you you sit there all day and you think about like, you know, oh, I want to keep it simple, but then but then you're you're just automatically start like picking you start picking apart the nuance of the world. And and then so then you start thinking like well now I need a mechanic for this and now I need a mechanic <laughs> for that and now you're now now the rule book in your brain is four hundred pages long <sighs> yeah. and it's like we don't want that right we we like we like simple and a uh, quick resolution without getting into the weeds of like you know how can it be done but I think that the sort of like just asking say. Um, just roll this thing. Let's not worry about the all the nuance and not trying to deconstruct the sort of um, the the primary way we are we are sort of taught by the game to think about how to resolve a thing and just say just give me this roll and totally. you know and and move totally. on you know. Totally. Oh, I, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm very glad you're here and we're able to redirect that question because I think that is what it comes down to. And even if we are uh, folks who have experienced or come from crunchier systems, usually about 250 pages into that rule book, it does say somewhere, you as the game master can ignore all of this crap <laughs> and still put it at XYZ, you know, based on what you think is right for your game at that moment. And that's a part that, with all that crunch layered on top, that we put all of this uh, time and energy investment into internalizing on in when we are using crunchier systems, that we sometimes forget is a failsafe that is usually built into most of these games. There's a, I was just thinking about this too. Um with ICRPG and, you know, putting the target, you know, a public target, so to speak, um, the player knows if they're successful. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it, and it takes a while. It's kind of funny. It takes a little while when you're playing with um, people who maybe came from 5e. They roll. They know the target. They know what they rolled. And yet they still look to you to say, like, do I have permission 
to succeed. And it takes a while before they just understand that they succeeded. And then all you have to do is narrate that success. Um, Love that. Oh, the, the vast majority of systems keep that target hidden. And so, sure. you know, that target is like a lot of times the DC, there is no DC. It's more like, how does, how does the GM feel at the moment? Mm. Uh, it's true. You know, so that the player rolls and then you look to the GM and the GM is, you know, spends about a second and a half thinking like, how do I feel about this? And that's really terrible. Like, it's it, awful. It's it, it's it's spot on, and it does put a lot of pressure on the GM and, and stuff like that. And I, but but I would even uh, offer the idea that even with that target number sitting out there in the world, in the wind, for us all to say, well, it gives the the, the GM the break and says, well, there's the target number. You beat it or don't beat it. It's all good. Um, the GM still has that, you know, to to balance that truth, the GM still has the uh, the ability and advantage of being able to codify and modify a success or failure so that it fits the desired uh, narrative and direction of the game. You know, you can have that be okay. It was success, but it happened a certain way. That was a failure, but it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah, and then that's that works to our advantage as game masters. Agreed. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you, Chris's. <laughs> I was gonna have. Great um, yes, great one. Um, JD, I'm gonna jump over to you. Is there which which question you want to focus on? Hey, everybody. Hey. I... I think that it would be really helpful um, in just even more so than my questions of just kind of like if you either of you just has a single example from your games where you've seen this go well or you've seen this go poorly um, and just getting like a really concrete thing that would be uh, that would be helpful because there's been a lot of like theory and like, well, theoretically there was a dex check and mm. you had to jump here and do this and stuff. Um, and so I think just listening in, that's kind of where it's like, okay, you've proven uh, the value of math and it has been a really enjoyable discussion. And I would just like to have it anchored into a memory as well. So mm. I know that may be difficult off the top of your heads to have like such a particular example. But that was kind of going to be my request. That is a very intelligent, valid, and fair question, and uh, puts me on the spot to say, "Okay, professor, now what happens when you remove math? Does that ever work in your favor?" And uh, I can definitely ground that. Uh, so, so when when can math get in the way? Okay, there's no questions. Like nobody wants to roll more than they have to, right? And uh, I, the example of too much math or when you don't need to pay attention to all of these crazy joint probabilities and the dice math that underlie it. Um, so I uh, was designing a hack. Uh, I did this a, a while ago and I play tested it a ton. 
uh, and it's for firearms. Uh, I have some gun rules that I homebrewed, and they've been up on the forum for a while and talked about a lot and viewed a lot uh, that uh, create what I find to be a lot of verisimilitude, to use Evil Chris's excellent uh, word for it, uh, around the gunplay, especially when you have lots of bullets flying from, you know, machine guns and shotguns and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, no one wants to roll more than they have to. Rolling for when you have a burst of eight rounds and you have lots of crazy things happening, uh, you don't want to sit there and roll eight times to see where each bullet does and then roll eight more times to find out what the damage for each one does. Uh, even if that would somehow be more, quote, realistic or simulationist, to use the word that everybody really puts bad feelings around uh, in the Runiverse. Um, so when I did that, uh, I had a scheme that I came up with at the beginning, and I immediately took, uh, upon a little bit of playtesting and even a little bit of forethought in pre-playtesting, pre my desire to want to reduce the number of rolls to a single two-hit roll and a single roll for damage led me to pull some of that math out of there uh, because I didn't want to slow the game down. I said the first thing that this has to be is playable. But if I if I uh, can I make can I make the game playable? Can I stick to these hard and fast one roll for to hit, one roll for damage on a burst from a machine gun? Can I do it in a way that still uh, feels realistic as opposed to some of the very gonzo, what I like to call guns as spells rules that uh, you see in some games. Altered State, which is which I love and which is cool, comes to mind, has a very different way from treating firearms, and I wanted to create an alternative table feel. So what I did was I pulled out that, that math. Instead of tracking things individually, I had a uh, case where the amount that you exceed the target number by determines the number of hits. You might shoot eight shots, but if you only exceed the target by three, uh, then four of those shots hit, the one that meets the target and the three that exceed. Uh, and then for the damage roll, you just roll one time, and every bullet that hits subsequently simply does one point less damage. So it keeps things moving fast and furious and free and the calculations are pretty quick and simple at the table to have lots of bullets flying and then doing damage in a way that has a realistic feel to someone who values verisimilitude but takes all of that crap and doesn't need to look at what measures of central tendency are and all the other things that multiple dice rolls do that's probably the most concrete example of backing off of walking away from too much math and i still looked at it but i did it in a way that prioritized the important things that i needed to happen in terms of playability for the game and then secondarily adapted the math to work at the table yeah. and then for me i think my example that comes to mind is my acid pool encounter that I put in for the Ultimate Effort show and what I ran in Garden of Acid. I had 
positions where you had to cross this pool of acid and there were these stepping stones and I wanted it to be a dex challenge. And so I designed it so that you essentially had to make two dex, dex checks um, to get across. You didn't have to be in a row or whatever, but there were just two subsequent dex checks at some point. And the first one was just a normal dex check, but the second one was a uh, a hard dex check. And I, and I did that because like, I wanted, and this is this may be terrible of me, but like I wanted someone to fall into the acid. Like that was part of the room, and and part of of the experience that I was trying to promote at the players was I want someone to fall in the acid. I I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna feel really bummed if we just hop hop hop. We're done. Woo! We crossed the pool of acid. Like I want someone to fall in. <laughs> So, but I also don't want to make it impossible. So I, I purposely put that second jump as hard, not knowing the math behind it, not knowing it, but it was like a target. Let's see, look at my notes. I'm, it was target 12, hard. It was a 15. It's like, okay, this is my chance. If if they've made it this far, while under the gun, they're at least gonna they're at least gonna fall fall in the ass, and, and they'll have to deal with it at that point. Um. What I didn't realize at the time is I think I ended up with like three people falling in. I'll have to double check the the video. And taking damage every turn, not round. Exactly. So, so in my head, I realize in retrospect, yes, I got what I wanted, but in combination with, with making two subsequent dex checks, one of which was harder, in addition to... You, if you fall in, you're now taking damage over the course of every turn for four rounds. Like, like I have set that room up to be absolutely killer. And the thing is, is up until this conversation, every time Chris has brought up the Garden of Acid pool, I have looked at him and said, what are you whining about? <laughs> like, it's not that bad. <laughs> Completely convinced that that encounter, it's fine. It's fine. It's a couple dex checks. You're good. But I can it's see now where Chris is coming. It's an entertaining from, encounter, to say the least. Where Chris is but coming as from. You're burning in ants, as you're burning in acid, it sometimes uh, gets hard to remember that. Yeah, but so I I do think that that room I'm I'm leaving it how it is. Like that's I'm not changing it <laughs> too far into this. <laughs> but I I do think that that's where math was left out, and it affected the game. A little bit. It was still fun. I still we still had a good time, but that encounter was set up in a slight, slightly obscured way, and so in the future, trying to assess how that math plays into it may be a way to go um, for a better, better. Not, I wouldn't say a more consistent experience because I do think, in my personal opinion, that sometimes math be hanged. I want to have. Uh, I want to have this experience because that's what I want, not not this this quote unquote balance. I know balance is can sometimes considered a dirty word, but like like I I do think just like we were talking with in the earlier question, like sometimes you can just obscure the math, obscure the the rules uh, to do you know do that. But what am I getting 100%. at? What am I? <laughs> And, I lost and, myself. And just to, to your to your point, ba- balance is a dirty word in the rudiverse, and but I would only point out that there is a big difference between balance and fair, mm. and making sure things are fair 
part and parcel to that is GM responsibility is not being overly surprised by what you're throwing out there. Be surprised by what the players accomplish and attempt, but not by what you threw in front of them. And then being being prepared, and this is where I agree with you. Fair, fair in the in the Runiverse is setting that high target, but then providing all the tools and means necessary for players to deal with it. Not or just not making it statistically impossible, or mm -hmm. close enough to impossible that it's gonna suck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for the record, I again I want to praise you for Garden of Asli because I think it's a brilliant <laughs> adventure. It it is surmountable, but it is extremely challenging and enjoyable and satisfying from a player perspective. <laughs> you want, if you want to get scared, look at the joint probabilities for the Spider Pit in Oracle of the North. That's oh, the boy. one I still have. Maybe. See, that's that's another one that I have. Math is so far gone. But anyways, <laughs> that's a that's a whole another conversation I'd, we'd love to have. But. In closing, one, thank you, Chris, especially um, for coming and talking through. I do feel, as Drew called out, enlightened. This has been very enlightening for me, and I feel much better about it, and I'm going to take it and see how I can be more energized with it. Thank you, um, Chris, JD, uh, for your questions, and thanks for everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will have our next one in two weeks, where we're going to pull JD in to talk about tone and how mechanics can hurt or help tone which i think is going to be uh, a fun one to build off of the, the excitement that i've had in this this conversation but then as always if um uh, if you guys have suggestions for topics that you want to work on or if you want to come up here and uh talk with me about stuff like put suggestions in in the chat we'll chat through the thing we'll get some stuff scheduled but thank you and jd last thing did that answer your question Yes, uh, yes, it did because <laughs> I think that um, I think what it comes down to, and I think why these workshops are helpful is that we're bringing different skills to the table. And I think Chris uh, Chris has the skill of elevating that to like, hey, no, like there's the importance of the theoretical, and there's these new things to figure out and discuss, and why those matter. And I think that Kane, you're you've always been extremely practical, and so there's been that not a mismatch, but just like a different perspective. So I think you guys working together to help uh, to help Chris like anchor it, and also to help clarify um, those like kind of practicality. And I think that that is a great example of like you sharing that story of what how the Garden of Acid was set up makes it feel really different after having this discussion where it's like okay yeah totally like a dex check and then a hard dex check and there's a guy shooting a gun at you like all that gets really crazy really fast and it actually makes sense why it gets crazy now um but having that kind of bringing it to that practical level is something i've always appreciated about uh kane's approach so thanks for that great excellent thanks jd and thank you very much for uh allowing me to join you and thanks to everybody for joining in the discussion and uh listening in Okay. Yep. Thanks, everybody. If you have any other questions, um, just drop them in the chat. We'll catch you on the Discord. Have a good one, you guys.